The time is the time has come. This Shia Parashat Matot Tavshin Ayn Vav is sponsored by friends of David Wicks Zal. In his memory, the Luinishmat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel Zal. Um, what I'd like to uh, think about and look into tonight is Kibush Eretz Yisrael. That Kibush Eretz Yisrael actually started in the parasha of Chukat. The parasha of Chukat in the book of Bamidbar. Right? Bamidbar Naso, Baloscha, Shlach, Korach, Chukas. What parasha are we up to? We're up to the parasha Matos. Right? What? So somehow the parasha Matot and the parasha of Chukat connect to each other on this topic that we want to look into tonight. And that topic is Kibush Eretz Yisrael. Uh, we know that the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu took the Jews out of Mitzrayim and brought them in the direction, if he didn't bring them all the way, but he brought them in the direction of Eretz Yisrael. That was because, that was all because Eretz Yisrael uh, was the promised land. I mean, it was promised to Abraham, to Yitzchak, to Yaakov. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, leading B'nai Yisrael, was going to fulfill that promise. However, there was a problem in Eretz Yisrael Hama'aravit, and that is that it was occupied. It was occupied by non-Jews, so that in order for B'nai Yisrael to accomplish Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, they had to go through a process of kibush Eretz Yisrael. And that kibush of Eretz Yisrael was led by Yoshua bin Nun and is basically the story of the book of Yoshua. The book of Yoshua is the story of kibush Eretz Yisrael al yedei chayalei am Yisrael. That's what happens in the book of Yoshua. But there's another story in the parasha of Chukat, right? Chukat, several weeks ago, Chukat. And that's the first source here on this sheet. The Pasuk says, Ve'yishlach Yisrael malachim el-sichol melecha emori lemor. Now, emori, emori is the name of a nation, but also emori is a name that's used for all the nations of Eretz Canaan. Everybody in Eretz Canaan is called, is called Emori. Now who was the Melech HaEmori? He was Sichon. Now where was Sichon? Was he on the eastern side of the Jordan or the western side of the Jordan? I mean, he must have been on the eastern side because the Jews hadn't crossed over the Jordan into Yericho yet. They don't do that till the book of Yoshua. So that Eva Hayadei, right, all of these, these words that describe, uh, that describe the situation are talking about the Jordan River, east of the Jordan River. That's where B'nai Yisrael were. They were more or less opposite Yericho. If you have in your mind the map of Eretz Yisrael, you know that the Jordan River, the Jordan River is the eastern border of Eretz Yisrael today. But it was also the eastern border when we talk about Eretz Yisrael. That's the Eretz Yisrael we talk about from Yam Hagadol, the Mediterranean Sea, until the Jordan River. That's the, uh, maybe that's not the promise but it's the land of Israel that Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about and that Yoshua conquered, right? The land between the, the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. Now, in this Pasuk it says that Yisrael sent emissaries to Sichon, 
Now, Sihon was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. He was the king of the Emory. And there was something they wanted from him, that Bnei Yisrael wanted from Sihon. So the Pasuk, the second Pasuk says, Ebra na ba'artzecha, lo nita he says, we'll pass through your land. We're not going to stop in the fields or in the vineyards. We're not going to drink the water in the wells. We'll go on the highway. We'll go on the superhighway where everybody can see us, what we're doing. So what did B'nai Yisrael want to do? They just wanted to go from where they were through the land of Sichon to where they wanted to be, which was on the eastern side of the Jordan River opposite Yericho. Because that's where they went into Eretz Canaan. So that's what they wanted. He didn't let them. He refused permission. They weren't allowed to go through uh, the land of Sichon. So, so here's Sichon. They say, can we go through? He says, no, you can't go through. Not only can't you go through, I'm going to go to, to war against you. I, Sichon, will take my army and go to war against you. Right, Vayakehu Yisrael Efichareb, Pasuk Kabdalet. Vayakehu Yisrael Efichareb, Vayirash et Artso me Arnon ad Yabok ad Bnei Amon, ki az gevul Bnei Amon. So the important part of the Pasuk is the beginning. Vayakehu Yisrael Efichareb, he beat them, the Jews, the Yisraelim, beat the Sichonites. The Amorites, they beat them in battle, and then it says, "Vayirash et Artsov." Now, these kind of technical legal terms are always difficult. What exactly does "Vayirash et Artsov" mean? What it sounds like, it sounds like they 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 so completely overwhelmed Sichon, the king of the Amori, that they actually took control of his land, <coughs> which is not such a hard thing to do when you have your army on the spot, right? It's always in kibush, in conquering, the difficulty is how do you keep the conquered nation conquered after you withdraw the army, right? Case in point, of course, is Iraq. Uh, it, it's a very difficult thing, and it was something that, that was a problem in the ancient world, and the leaders in the ancient world thought about it all the time. Again, you conquer somebody, you conquer a land, you have an army. So as long as your army is there, so they stay conquered. But the army doesn't want to stay there. All the guys in the army, they want to go home. They want to be with their families. I mean, enough is enough, right? Everything has, so they, they start pulling back. Once they start pulling back, the native population might revolt might take a stand. But here in this Pasuk it says that what are we up to? What are we up to? Again, Pasuk Abdalad Vayakehu Yisrael Vicharev. They beat them. The army of Israel beat the army of Sichon. Vayirashet Arzot. And they inherited the land, which I would take to mean that they, they stayed put, they stayed there. They were there, and we'll see it again uh, uh, in the words of the Abarbanel. Okay, if you look at the Rashi. Pasukha bet, Ebrab Arzacha. Afal Pishelo Nitztavu Liftoach Lahem Bishalom, Bikshumehem Shalom. Well, you know what Rashi says, even though they were not commanded. They, Bnei Yisrael, were not commanded Lifdoach Shabbat Shalom. They didn't have to. Uh, they didn't have to offer them peace. 
they didn't have to offer them a peaceful resolution. Nevertheless, Bikshu Mehem Shalom. What did they ask for? What did B'nai Yisrael uh, say? They said, just let us go by. Right? They said to him, we come in peace. We don't want anything from you. We just want to pass through because we're going to the other side of the mountain. And it's easier to pass through the land of Sichon than to go around. So they made an offer which, according to Rashi, was similar to, to, to making an offer of peace. We're not there to go to war with you. Which was the same thing that B'nai Yisrael did under Yoshua, Yoshua bin Nun, when they went to capture the nations in Canaan. They said, if you want to make peace with us, make peace and we won't, we won't fight with you. But if you refuse, then we'll go to war. <coughs> so that the, and the, the Gemara understands this as being a necessary uh, requirement of warfare. That you can't go to war. I mean, you know you're going to win. Right? The Jews knew they were going to win because God was on their side. So you can't go to war, to, to such a war, unless you offer peace. And here too, even though they didn't use that language, Rashi says the same thing was true. They, they offered Sichon peace. They said, we're not going to attack you. We're not going to take your stuff. But Sichon wouldn't, wouldn't have of it. Wouldn't have it. So again, what are the verbs in the Pasuk? Vayikach Yisrael. Right, Vayikach in Hebrew. What does the word Vayikach uh, refer to? A kind of a kinyan. Right, when you buy something and ownership is transferred from the previous owner to the present owner, that's called Vayikach. So they took it, they owned it, right? And then, Vayeshev Yisrael Bekol Amori. And they settled that place. They settled that place. Now, well, how long this took and when this happened and all of the dates, it's always problematic when you study, when you study the Torah. So I want to ignore that. Somehow, B'nai Yisrael conquered the land. They, they, they took it as their own and they settled it. They stayed there in that place. And the question, of course, is what does that mean? What does all of that, what does that, all of that mean? Uh, what do you mean they settled it? They're on their way to Eretz Yisrael. They're on their way to conquer the land on the western side of the Jordan. I mean, if they conquered land on the eastern side of the Jordan, what difference does that make? But we know that in our parasha, our parasha, the parasha of Matot, this question is answered in the most interesting way. So you look here, the second uh, source. Mikneirav, Ayalim v'neire uvein v'levnei gad atzum me'od. Mikneirav, they had, they had a lot of, sh of sheep. Who had a lot of sheep? Ruvain and Gad. These two tribes, Ruvain and Gad, had sheep. So they looked around and they saw the land that they had just conquered, that Bnei Yisrael had conquered. <coughs> and they said, they said, this is perfect for us. This is, this is what we're looking for. Mikol Mikneh, a place where we could put our sheep. Right, we could put our sheep. That's what, that's what they said. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden in Jewish history, right, there are no longer 12 tribes. In other words, up to now, the 12 sons of Yaakov shared a common experience. You know, they, they had a little disagreement with Yosef <coughs> and they, uh, they went down to Mitzrayim together and they got out of Mitzrayim together 
and even though they maintained their identities, but their history was the same. They were all together. They did whatever they did together as a, as a group. So even though in the Chanaya, in the way they camped around the Mishkan, the first two parashiyot of Bamidbar, Bamidbar Naso, where there's a description of the Chanaya B'nai Yisrael. So it's true, every tribe was at its own place and its own identity. However, they had a cumulative history. When they traveled, they all traveled together. And when they stopped, they all stopped together. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Ruvain and Gad, these two tribes, later we'll see the addition of Chatzi, Shevet, Menashe. But Ruvain and Gad, Ruvain and Gad say, we're not like everybody else. We're different than everybody else. How are we different? We're different than everybody else because we have uh, we have uh, we have a lot of sheep the number is fantastic the number of sheep so they said they said these uh, people Reuben and God we have special needs I know we're special needs children but we're special needs people and since we're special needs people we look at the world in a different way. And the land that we just conquered and settled and bought and, and, and took as our own, Awi B'nai Yisrael, which does not, which is not in Eretz Yisrael, because Eretz Yisrael at that time was on the western side of the Jordan River. It's not in Eretz Yisrael. It is, however, bordering Eretz Yisrael. And they say, wouldn't it be great if we distinguished ourselves, if we distinguished ourselves from the rest of the people of Israel and just stayed here, stayed in this place. <coughs> so you know that Moshe Rabbeinu calls them to task about this. He says, what do you mean? You mean you're going to separate yourself, you're going to be on your own, they're all going to go conquer Eretz Israel and you're not going to go with them. And finally, there was a negotiated agreement between Reuben and God and Moshe Rabbeinu and the rest of the Jewish people that the Reuben and God would somehow inherit the land, even though the land was conquered by the entire nation of Israel. They would inherit the land. Well, they had a lot of sheep. They had a need. They would inherit the land of Sichon, I mean, that's what it says in Sukim, but we know that it's Sichon and Og. Both of these kings, both of these kings were uh, the owners, the previous owners of the land. So Reuben and God are going to inherit the land, but there's a condition. They're going to have to fight with the rest of, they're going to have to send soldiers to fight with the rest of the people of Israel, with the rest of the people of Israel to conquer to conquer the land west of the Jordan River, and they agreed to this. They agreed to this, and in the book of Joshua, in the 14th chapter, when the fighting is largely done, that didn't work out as perfectly as they would have liked it to. I mean, they didn't really get rid of all of the non-Jewish residents of Eretz Canaan, but in, there, Joshua says, okay, we've done it, Ruven and God, you can go back to, to your homes. So, you know, it was everybody under the age, people who not, were not of military age, right, under the age of 20 or over the age of 60, were able to stay behind and, uh, and uh, take care of, uh, of the rechush, of this property that they had inherited. And all the able-bodied men who are of army age went and helped to conquer the land of Canaan. When that ended, they went back. The people of Ruvain and God went back and they, uh, and they uh, started to live over there, you know, on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River. So you see, an interesting, an interesting thing happened according to the story that we have in the Torah. 
that the, the Jews, or at least some of the Jews, redefined Eretz Yisrael. They, they gave it a new definition. Eretz Yisrael used to be everything to the web. When, when Moshe Rabbeinu led them out of Egypt and took them in the direction of Eretz Canaan, where he was going was the western side of the Jordan River. Reuven and God redefined Eretz Yisrael to include the conquered territory on the east of, of uh, uh, the Jordan River. <coughs> so it turns out, it turns out that Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean like, if you have a poetic sense, a little bit, not a great poetic sense, but a little bit of a poetic sense, you could say, you could say, here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He wants to go to Eretz Israel, right? We talked about this last week. He, wants, he spends a, a, a time and again figuring out ways to convince the Rebunish Lolem that he should go to Eretz Israel. A Godish Bible says to him over and over again, no, no, no. You've desecrated God's name, you and Aaron, and you can't go to Eretz Israel. But it turns out de facto that depending on how you define it, if Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who gave Reuven and God and Chatzit Shevet Menashev their land, and if that land somehow in some manner, in some way became incorporated into the land which we call Eretz Yisrael, so Moshe Rabbeinu was in Eretz Yisrael, was he not? I mean, he was not in the Eretz Yisrael that he thought about at first. But de facto, he was in Eretz Yisrael. Because he's the one who gave the land to Reuben and God. And Reuben and God, after all, were part of Am Yisrael. And Reuben and God were coming to... <coughs> Reuben and God were coming to uh, uh, Eretz Yisrael as part of the community which would then be able to inherit the land, right? Those words that are used here in the, in the Pasuk. Okay? Okay, so in order to, to give us a little bit of help in thinking about things, I'd like to learn with you something that the Abar Benel wrote, and then something that, uh, that is in the Igra de Kala. So first, the, the Abar Benel, you should know, the Abar Benel was part of the Gerush Svarat, which is one good date that everybody should remember, 1492. Right, so if you remember, that the Abarbanel was part of Gerush for Adras, 1492. So you know approximately who he was after and who he was before, <laughs> approximately. So you know that the Abarbanel was after Rashi and the Rambam, but he was before uh, Yosef Kara and the Shulchan Aruch. Now that would be a little bit broad, but it's a start. Was you know, there any adult at the age What? He was already an adult at the time of the Gerush? Yeah. Because he was, he was an advisor to Ferdinand and Isabella. He was apparently extremely clever, the Abarbanel. And uh, from uh, very early on, everybody expected the Jews to produce people who were very clever. In this case, it didn't help them so much. Did you yeah. say he was an advisor? He was what? You said that he was an advisor. The Ferdinand and Isabella, yeah. A financial advisor, I mean. It didn't help to end the expulsion. It didn't help that he was... No, it didn't help at all. That they still had the game of It didn't, yeah. It didn't help at all. It was quite sad. So the Abarbanel wrote a very extensive, he wrote many books, but one of the things that he wrote was a very lengthy commentary on the whole Tanakh. <coughs> on all of Tanakh, which is being reprinted now in a kind of deluxe edition. Very good, it's a very, uh, very helpful, helps you to find things. It's a very good edition. But at the end, when if it ever gets finished, it'll have... 20 volumes, so you might not be, might not have so much shelf space available, but it's 20, 20 volumes, I think. What? I'm sure it'll be on CD also. Ah, so see, I didn't realize that we had young people here. 
<laughs> yes, it'll be on a CD, but but uh, but you know the like the Bar Ilan, they never get the nicest uh, uh, the nicest version. The nicest versions were printed recently, and they all copyrighted. So the Bar Ilan, they have to use old versions, which are more difficult to read and not as good. So I think the printed book still, not for long, but still has some kind of uh, lifespan. So let's look. Uh, so the way he did it was, the way the Barbadell did it was, he asked questions. That's why they used to say there was this joke in yeshiva. They used to say you're not allowed to, to learn a Barbanel on Shabbos. Because if you eat cholent on Shabbos, start learning the Barbanel, so on, on every portion he asks many questions. And then he starts answering the questions. So if you eat cholent on Shabbos, you start learning the Barbanel, you probably go to sleep. And you'll just end up with questions. So that's like, you know, un, unfavorable. <coughs> so, here you have, uh, the, this what's printed here says, Asheila, you, this, I wasn't interested in that, we can skip that. And go to the fourth line, where it says, Meknei Ravaya Libnei Ruvein, you see that? Ad Sofa Seder, until the end of the story. So the, so the, 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 the Barbadel says this, Ein Mukdem Muchar Batorah, Ha'elokit. He says, the Torah is not bound by chronology. What is he talking about? That after all, the conquest of the land took place in the parashah of Chukat, as we said at the beginning. And this story about B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain takes place several parashiyot later. So why aren't they put together? Why isn't it really part of one story? So he says, V'lo uh, nichtav, and you can't say that one of these two parashiyot, or this one in Matot, is written in the wrong place. Because the way the Torah is, is the way the Torah should be. That's what, that's what he says. He says, we saw that, right, in the, in the parish of Chukat. They beat the Sichonites, and they lived there by Yitzhashvu. They, 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 they sat there and actually lived in that place. so what does he say? He says all the things that are in the Torah, all these stories in the Torah between Chukat and Matot, they, they all took place while B'nai Yisrael had settled into the land of the land of Sichon. So there was a battle with Sichon, and then they settled in, and then right happened Balak and Pinchas and and the beginning of Matot. All of those stories took place when B'nai Yisrael had settled themselves into the land of, of Sichon. Right, with the new Israel, and then they counted the Jews with its and they were commanded to inherit the land. Now we're talking about the land of Israel, the land on the western side of the Jordan. Right, this was a command given to those who left Mitzrayim and it's when it's Moshe. Al mitato. Moshe was uh, explained by God how he would die. And all of the sacrifices that would be given after he died. 
ציווה את ראשי המטות בדיני הפרת הנדרים. And so, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he had to like, explain certain things to the people, and one of those things was Dinei Hafarat Nedarim, which is in the beginning of the parasha of Matot, that if, uh, if, you, if you take an oath, uh, that oath can be undone, right? Especially if a woman takes a, a wife, somebody's wife takes an oath, her husband can undo the, the oath. I mean, that's the, that's the issue. So he, the, so the Barbanel says, okay, Ritzivahu Hashem al milchemet midyan, v'hu shalach shama mebachre Yisrael, v'iku et midyan, then you have the whole story about midyan, that, that they fought against midyan, and they beat them, ki ish echad v'yaviyu et kol shlala, and they brought all of the booty from midyan. So, in other words, what, what the Barbanel is saying is, that if you just think about it, you'll see that the Torah is written in a reasonable order. Right? First, the, the, the battle against Sichon, and then the settling of the land. And then the Jews having settled in that land, they ran into the problem of Bilam and Balak and Midian, and, and then God told them to take a revenge, uh, the, what happened with Midian, and then the etc. Okay? Vinir Eh. And then he says, now we're up to our parasha. Our parasha is these psukim, right, do you remember? Of all these stories that Barbanel says, Abiseda, they're, they're in the right place. Why are they in the wrong place? They're all fine. Then he says, I think, kanu he says, the way I understand, how could they get Miknerav? How could it be possible that Reuven and God had more than everybody else? So he said, well, in the war, they conquered the people in the land of Sichon, right? They conquered the people in the land of Sichon. <coughs> and with that conquest came all the animals. So everybody who was involved would get an equal portion of animals. So how did they get Mekneirav? So Barbanel, you know, like he has this straight kind of uh, way of thinking about things. He said, well, they made an investment. They bought it. They bought sheep from the other, from the other tribes. They bought the sheep in order that they, they figured the price of wool would go up. They were sitting in a, they were living in a particular place. Why not? Right? He said, since they suddenly saw that they had all these sheep, you know, that no one else had, that before they bought it from, from their neighbors, the Og Lachuza. Here's Barbanel, you know, he's like a balabas. He says, what happened? They, uh, they bought sheep. Why they bought, buy sheep? They thought it would be a good investment. But meanwhile, after buying all these sheep, they suddenly found themselves without a place. They needed a place to put their sheep. So they came to, the, so they thought to themselves, maybe they can inherit the land and have a place. Because they thought that this was the perfect place for them. That's what, that's what happened. Reuben and God, they went into business, they bought a lot of sheep and they needed a place and so they looked around and they said, well, maybe this is a good place. Up to then, everybody thought that their stay would be temporary. Now Reuben and God said, well, let's make it permanent. And then he goes on and says, a smora. He says, maybe there were other tribes who did the same thing, of the 12 tribes, right? He says, 
כראובן וגד, אבל התעוררו אלו השניים לדבר הזה. But these two tribes, ראובן וגד, were the ones who really went after it. הם לפי שחשקה נפשם להיותם רועי צאן, either because they had great desire to be shepherds, כי הייתה התבונה ההיא בהם יותר מבשאר השבטים, maybe they had a knack for it. They were good at it, you know, they were good at this business. כי כל דרך איש ישר בעיניו, ויש אנשים אדוקים באושרם ומקניהם יותר מבכל שאר הדברים. There's some people who just love the money and they love their flocks and they are not like everybody else. וכן היו ראובן וגד. And Ruvain with God were those kinds of people, the Abarbanel says. So the Abarbanel is what we would call, we used to call in yeshiva, so that's, it's Balabatish. Balabatish means, oh, everybody can understand that. You know, everybody, you go to shul, there are people who, you know, who daven and people talk about business. That's how it is in shul. So maybe Ruvain and God, they were the kind of people who did business all the time. And they had all these sheep, according to the Abarbanel. <laughs> <laughs> what? They're practical. Okay. Their practicality. I don't mean to disparage anybody. Practical. Practical is good. And entrepreneurial too, I suppose. Okay. אין ספק שנשען בגבורתו ולא יראה משכניו הרעים. So God was, was, a, was a special kind of person, a tough guy who was able to fight the good fight. אמנם שאר השבטים לא רצו להיפרד מעדת ישראל. Listen to this. אמנם, are you with me? I'm in the left hand column, the left hand column, the fifth line, two words from the end of the line. אמנם, right? אמנם, שאר השבטים לא רצו להיפרד מהדת ישראל. Remember we said at the beginning that we started out as a, in the world of 12 tribes. And the first tribes that we lost from the 12 were Reuven and God. And even though there was an agreement with Reuven and God that they would go and fight, but when that fight was over they went home and they were kind of separate. They lived separate lives. They weren't involved. They weren't involved. So here he says, Amnam, Shara Shvatim Loratzuli Pared Madat Yisrael Shayumikubat Sim, Beres HaKadoshah. He says the, that <coughs> the other tribes didn't want to do what Reuven and God did, to move away, to live on their own, to be on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They wanted to be in Eretz Yisrael proper. where all the mitzvot that Lod Ba'aretz, all the mitzvot that are going to be accomplished and done and obligated. He says that Chazal pointed out that Reuven and God loved money so much They were willing to live their lives outside of Eretz Yisrael. And that's why the original Galut, the original Galut of the ten tribes, remember? Ten tribes? Ten tribes were exiled. Who exiled the ten tribes? Who exiled the ten tribes? Sancherif, who was the king of... Of Assyria, yeah, fair. He was the king of Assyria. Where is Assyria? To the east, to the north of Eretz Yisrael, right? To the east and the north. If you stay in Yerushalayim, you go to the east of Yerushalayim and you go up north, you get to Assyria. So that means that the Assyrians came to exile the ten tribes. Which tribes did they meet up with first? Reuven and God and Chatzit Shevet Ma'ashet. So Chazal understood that Reuven and God were the first ones to be exiled. by Sancherif, and because they're the ones who are willing to give up their close connection to Eretz Yisrael. They were willing to give it up. 
And he says, you can explain it in a different way. Now, what was Ruvain doing there? What was Ruvain? Why did he agree to give up his place in Eretz Yisrael? Because he was the oldest brother. And then he, he actually was forced to give up his Bechorah, the, the rights of the firstborn. And that was given to Yosef. And the firstborn gets Pishnayim, right? Twice as much as any other one. What was the twice as much that Yosef received? Ephraim or Menashe, right? Ephraim and Menashe. So, so uh, Reuven lost that, lost out on that. Uh, and kingship went to the tribe of of Yehuda. So it could be that Reuven was simply like uh, sort of felt left out. He felt that he had been punished for some reason, right? He was embarrassed. So uh, the, the, the uh, Barbanel has given us two reasons for why, why what? Why Ruvain was willing to give up his place in Eretz Yisrael proper and live in the land of Sichon, right? He, was, he, asked, he gave us these two reasons. The first reason, uh, the first reason was uh, was that they, they loved their money so much, they saw an opportunity. It's like, it's like you go to Africa, you know, you go to some country in Africa that has, like they gave it the name two days ago. It's hard to know and you see, who do you find there? Who do you find there? Israelis. What are they doing there? They're all making a lot of money. Right, they're all begging a lot of money. So how can you live in a place like this? They're begging a lot of money. <coughs> so Ruvain, according to Barbanel, that was Ruvain. He wanted to make a lot of money. The second interpretation is more psychological. Is that since Ruvain lost out on all of the things that he wanted to get, so he wasn't interested in living with other tribes who were younger than he was and less authoritative, but he had lost everything. He wasn't, he lost the Bechorah, the rights of the firstborn, and he also, he also lost Malchut, which would ordinarily have gone to the firstborn, but in his case was passed on to Yehuda. Right, you remember that Leah had children, Ruve, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, right? Ruve, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yehuda, why was he called Yehuda? Huh? Oh, Hashem. Al what? Al ma? What? She gave birth to him. No, not that she gave birth to him. That since Yaakov had four wives, and they knew he was going to have twelve children, so even if you went to Cheder and you didn't go to a fancy school to learn arithmetic, you could figure out that twelve divided by four is three. Right, so it turned out that Leah, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda had four children. So a fourth child. <coughs> she says, oh, Dad, Hashem, I give thanks to God because this was not really part of the plan. The plan was that four wives, each wife would have three children. Well, I had four, then, the, then the, uh, his beloved wife, Rachel, right, had only two children, right? Yosef and Binyamin. So now let's look at the Igra de Kala. Let's look at the Igra de Kala. The Igra de Kala was written by Hasidish Rebbe. It's on Parshat Shabuah. It's written by Hasidish Rebbe. Tzvi Elimelech Midinov. Tzvi Elimelech Midinov. And the most famous book that he wrote, or the famous people have heard of it, people heard of it, it's called B'nai Yisotzchar. And we're very careful. We always say Yisoschar. 
Right, you know that the, the name Yisachar, Yisachar, we say Yisachar, that the name Yisachar is spelled with two sins, Yud, Sin, Sin. A little strange, right? So when we say it, we say Yisachar as though it was only written with one sin. But, but Balei Kriya, who are very careful, um, read the first time the word Yisachar is mentioned in the Torah, they read it Yisachar. But in any event, Tzvi Elimelech Medina wrote this book on the, on, the, uh, on the calendar, on the Jewish calendar, all the things that happen month by month uh, during the year. And uh, it became a very popular, very popular book, and it's been put out in many different editions, including um, editions that have a lot of references, footnotes, uh, extra material, which is uh, very good. So he wrote the book on Parashat HaShavua. That book, B'nai Yisachar, is about the annual cycle, right? All of the holidays, all the months, the meaning of the month. And a month, of course, with a holiday, that, that affects its meaning, so to speak. So now I want to... Uh, he, he says this, Smichut sipur hamaaset lekar ulekasher kol aparasha b'seder matim. Exactly the same as the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel, believe me, was not a Hasidish Rebbe. Didn't know anything about Hasidut. It hadn't yet been invented. So, but the Abarbanel says, hey, we have a problem with the order of things in these parashiyot. How come the story of Sichon and the conquest of his land is told in Chukat. And just now, uh, Reuben and God, they decide to think about taking over that land for themselves. So he says the same thing, except he talks about our parasha. He says, Nearly, he says, I can I'm going to organize this parasha for you. He says the beginning of the parasha is about undoing vows. Remember? Mm -hmm. Right? Undoing vows. Shehumi raza de olama machshara. This is one of the secrets of the world of thought. You know that the Kabbalists were very much into the difference, try to differentiate in, in some more essential way, not in a legal way, but in a, a more profound way. What's the difference in and ma'aseh. Usually we say, usually say, you, you didn't do it until you did it. Right? But sometimes, like a neder, you say, like a neder, I'm not going to eat an apple. You did it. Right? You really created a world in which that apple, or any apple that comes along, is exactly the same as a kind of chazer sandwich. Exactly the same. So that you did it in your mind. You didn't do anything. You didn't act on it. So the, the, the Kabbalists, followed by the Hasidim, were very interested in trying to understand how you could differentiate Machshava and Maaseh. Why is it sometimes Machshava does it and sometimes it, it doesn't? I'm in the second line. That we know, that's one of the rules. So that we know that is very important since Machshava is like doing something sometimes. I mean, there are indications that the way you think about something is the way you've done it, so that you, you obviously. Even though the mitzvot help you litaher tamaseh, the mitzvot say, don't do this and don't do that, do this, right? Go this way, don't go that way. So that helps you to do what he calls tihur hamaaseh. But how do you do tihur hamachshava? How do you do, uh, so he says, echitar machshavto shelolar how do you get to the point that you don't think about an Avera, about doing some transgression, and all you think about is being close to God? After all, we all have this Machshava problem. 
וסיפר אחר, אחר כך מפלת מדיין, and then after the, 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 the material about נדר, the Torah tells us about מדיין, כי צורים הם לכם, ונכליהם שנכלו כבר בפרשת פנחס. אוקיי, ואחר כך סיפר איך קצף משה הוא הדעת על פיקודו החייל, משה got angry at the soldiers, באמת מחשבתם היה לטובה, they intended good with מדיון, ועל ידי זה התבוננו הפיקודים אשר לאלפי הצבא, מהיכן באה הטעות? על כוחך מהרהור עבירה ועבירה גוררת עבירה. על כן הקריבו את קורבן השם לכפר על הרהור, הלב כמבואה לאל, ולזה אסמיך, you see, now if you're with me, I'm in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, seventh, seventh line, the seventh line, the fourth word. is Vilazeh. In other words, up to now what he said is that all the stories in the parasha, all the stories of parashat Matot are about thinking right, about thinking correctly about things, about being able to drive out unnecessary thoughts from your mind and being able to sort of get some, some level of control. So that's why, you know, people say don't do this and don't do that, right? So, Like, how do you say, how do you tell children that they shouldn't watch television, or they shouldn't watch it too much, or they shouldn't watch certain things? It was, how, how do you, what's the point that the children don't believe you? Well, the point that they don't believe you is that thinking and doing are the same. They don't believe you, right? So, how can you convince children that thinking and doing is the same thing, like if they, see uh, a movie with war and war that you know, everybody kills everybody else, that that might not be good for them. Might not be good for the way they think about it as well. You know how children are. If they see that their parents think it's not good for them, then it won't be good. They'll come to this conclusion, not good for them either. But if the parents say, the parents say, You're too young for that. Which means when you get older, you could think miserable things all you want. Just don't do it now while I'm around. So the kids understand that there's duplicity here. Kids want to be like their parents. So their parents have to be like what they tell their children to be like. So it's like, it's like if you go to shul, and you go with children to shul, right? and you, men or women, it doesn't matter, and you talk to the person sitting next to you, and then a little kid comes up to you and says, Daddy, Mommy, I need a lollipop or something. So you say, what's the matter with you? Don't you see with David? <laughs> so you think the kids don't get it? They get it 100%. That they're supposed to be quiet in shul while their parents talk in shul. Right, so, that, so that's it, you know, they've got it all figured out. That uh, the goal in life is to become a parent and talk in shul. Right, so that, uh, you know, not so great. So here we are, listen to what he says. That's why. Why the, the, the story of Reuven God and Chazir Shebim Nasheh is found here in Matot and not back there where they conquered the land of Sichon because Mechuz Ligvul Eretz HaKodesh Ayem B'Likudi Torah, that's the Baal Shem Tov Ayem Maser Mamarot Liyot Shayabem Pigam Bemachshava Bereshit Aviyatam He says they were like Fatajit They, they couldn't think straight. There was a pagam. There was a blemish in the way they think about things that they could imagine. That 
וגם בלידת גד לא נתייצא ליען יעקב. So he goes on to explain, what is he going to explain? That both Reuven and God were born without serious thought. The kind of serious thought that's necessary to produce a child. It was all accidental. Reuven was born accidentally and, and God was born accidentally. So you see, you see, along comes, along comes the Abarbanel. <coughs> and yes, the Abarbanel. What happened? How come they decided to stay in the land of Sichon and not go to Eretz Yisrael? So the Barbanel says, well, there was money. And the Barbanel says, well, maybe it wasn't just money. Maybe it was also covered. Right? That the Reuben and God, they lost their position. They weren't the judges. They weren't kings. They weren't... Okay, Reuben and God. Several hundred years later, Allah comes to Hasidic Rebbe, who is like a great, a great uh, scholar and had tremendous uh, Torah knowledge. And he says, what happened? He says, well, you see it in the parasha. Don't you see in the parasha? That thinking is important, and your ideas are important. And obviously, Reuven God and Chatzit Menashe had the wrong idea. It's true that technically, they were able to inherit the land that Moshe Rabbeinu had conquered for B'nai Yisrael. That was technically true. But ideologically or conceptually, they were mistaken. They were mistaken. They didn't understand their real obligations. And you see that in the parasha of, of Matot, because the parasha of Matot is about right think and wrong think. And therefore it's put into that parasha according to the B'nai Yisoschot. Egre the Kalo, the Vedei That's what that's what he says. So everybody seems to agree. Everybody seems to agree that uh, inheriting the land by Ruvain and God and Chatzi Shevet Menashe was an imperfect resolution. They should have preferred to receive their inheritance in Eretz Yisrael. However, the rationale behind this non-conformist act is differentiated by the Abarbanel and the Igre de Kala. The Abarbanel says it was like a human failure. Like, you know, everybody has these problems. Everybody has problems of, everybody has problems of uh, kavod and mamon, money. And so they also had those problems. It was either, <coughs> either he emphasizes it or maybe he de-emphasizes it because he says, like, like uh, what do you expect? I mean, someone is always going to have that problem. Somebody in the family. So you look around in the family, somebody's always going to be hungry for the money. Right? That's the only thing that will bother him or her. Along comes the Igor de Kala and says that even for the 12 tribes, even for the 12 tribes, it was possible to think incorrectly about things. And this is the, 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 the history of Am Yisrael, according to Igor the Kala. Right? You see at Mitzrayim, they complained. Har Sinai, they built the Ege. Uh, the, uh, the 12 spies, they decided not to go. In other words, in Am Yisrael, all the time, there were those people who thought improperly, incorrectly, unhappily about what their obligations were. And finally, Ruvain and God and Chatzis Shevet Menashe, who were willing to give up Eretz Yisrael. And you know that, <coughs> I mentioned last week, the Medrash says that why did Moshe Rabbeinu want to go to Eretz Yisrael so much? I mean, what was there to do what, for him in Eretz Yisrael? He wasn't going to go and fight. He says, no, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to do the mitzvot at Liyot Ba'aretz. He wanted to be included in doing the mitzvot of Eretz Yisrael. I said, that's, HaKadosh Baruch said, in spite of that, you're not going. You can't go to Eretz Yisrael. And on the heels of that, of that, statement that HaKadosh Baruch made to Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't go to Eretz Yisrael because you caused a chilul Hashem. On the, on, following that, almost immediately, Reuven and God said, we don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. We're happy to be here where we, where, where we are. We're happy to be in the land of, 
and a land of Sichon, which was not originally intended to be part of Eretz Yisrael. That's what, <coughs> that's what he says. Okay, have a good shot. Does he have blames Simanasha also for, because they weren't really part of the original request. They were just added on, uh, you know, uh, by Moshe, right? He says Reuben and God. He explains it for Reuben and God also. <laughs>